Hello, and welcome to another edition of Cracking Addiction. My name is Philippe Naren, and I'm joined, as always, by Fergal Armstrong. Fergal, today we're going to be talking about the OPQRST mnemonic and how it applies for patients with opioid use disorder. So, Fergal, could you take us through the OPQRST mnemonic and why it's such a useful tool to help us manage our patients who are using opioids? So the, I, I came up with the OPQRST mnemonic really when I was trying to encapsulate in an easily understandable and memorizable fashion all of the interventions that we as doctors need to consider when we are faced with not just, prescri- not just opioid use disorder, but prescription opioid stewardship in general. And so I developed the OPQRST mnemonic because it, it, it gives you the alphabetical order of interventions that you might consider in prescription opioid stewardship. So O stands for opioid antagonist therapy, i.e. naloxone. P stands for pharmacotherapy. And bear in mind, the pharmacotherapy is only licensed for diagnosed substance use disorder or opioid use disorder. Q stands for quantity, i.e. you you can reduce the quantity of the medication that you prescribe on on any prescription. R stands for refer, i.e. refer to specialists, or rotate, i.e. do an opioid rotation, which is a rapid way of reducing the OMED of, of of an opioid load for a patient. S stands for staged supply. And I think it's important to realize that we can do staged supply for anything. You could do staged supply for Panadol. But it's a crucial part of the provision of pharmacotherapy, and it also plays an important role in managing opioid stewardship issues. And T stands for tapering, which is the gradual reduction of opioid doses from high to low, which is a common practice in patients who are on high OMEDs experiencing chronic pain. So again, you know, it, it's it's just an alphabetical list of interventions. It doesn't the the order does not denote any particular saliency. You've you've got to tailor the interventions to the patient, but you can use the mnemonic to think about the range of interventions that you might have for a particular patient. But you will have to pick out of that the most important elements for every individual patient contact that you have. That's an excellent tool, Fergal, and I remember the first time you told me about the OPQRST uh, mnemonic. I think it was 2019, and yeah. I was relatively new to prescribing uh, opioid substitution therapy and dealing with patients with substance use disorder, and it provided a really useful framework for me to organize and order my thinking and also help me prescribe rationally. And I'm hopeful that this acronym will also help our viewers out there who are dealing with sometimes difficult clinical scenarios and Mm. hopefully provide a bit of guidance to them as to how to prescribe. And Mm. usually with my learning, I find nothing's better than case-based discussion or case-based learning. So Fergal, I thought maybe we could talk about a few cases and show some real-world applications of the OPQRST mnemonic and and show how we can use this to guide our prescribing. So if I could talk about a case, and let's call this case one. This is a patient with endometriosis and chronic pelvic pain diagnosed about three years ago. Mm. A patient 
this patient has had difficulty taking uh, their opioid medications as prescribed and has been coming in early for repeat scripts. Yeah. Um, and I guess the question I have for you in a situation like this, when you're dealing with a patient with these kind of issues, what would you utilize out of the OPQRST mnemonic to guide your prescribing and management of this patient? Yeah. So this is a very common presentation. You've got someone with, uh, you know, a chronic pain disorder on long-term opioids. They're not, you know, they're, they're, they're not uh, experiencing addiction problems. They're, there's not, there's no significant aberrancy. They're just coming a bit early and, you know, they're, they're, they're telling you, oh, look, sometimes on a bad day, my pain is worse and I'm having to use more. You're a little bit uncomfortable, but there aren't any significant red flags. And for the purposes of this discussion, let's say that her total OMED doses is around about 60. You know, so it's less than 100, and it's also within the FPM guidance for, for, for low-risk OMEDs. So, you know, you, you would not leap in with pharmacotherapy for this patient, right? So, so the, the, the most important interventions, I think, for this patient would be controlling the amount that is given at a time, and maybe, um, so that would be quantity. So instead of giving, uh, you know, uh, OxyContin for a month, maybe only give it for a week, a week at a time. So that would mean she'd have to get weekly scripts or, or, or come in weekly. Or another, another way of managing it might be to do stage supply from the pharmacist. So you might, instead of giving 28-day supply or 14-day supply, you might even do a weekly pickup or daily pickup if you really were concerned, or you might do second-day pickup. So out of the entire range of, of interventions, I think the most important ones there would be the Q for quantities and the S for stage supply. Now, you could also argue, well, what about naloxone, the O for opioid antagonist therapy, so the naloxone. Now, there is guidance that suggests that anyone who's on an, on an OMED of more than 50 milligrams a day would need naloxone. So you could think about that. So that deals with the, uh, the, the, the stage supply, the quantities, and then, oh, but you would not think about pharmacotherapy. Could you rotate? Well, you, there's no point in rotating if you're not at high risk of opioid dosing. Um, and could you refer? Well, you could refer any patient that you're having difficulty managing, but it certainly wouldn't be the first intervention that I would think of as a GP. Um, and so, so hopefully that'll... So I think we've gone through the OPQRST for this patient, and that gives you a summary for these kind of low-risk, slightly aberrant patients who are long-term opioids, relatively stable. I think the most important thing is to control the supply, the, the, control the quantity, and do stage supply. That was excellent, Fergal. And I think what this shows is the realm of possibilities um, yeah. that the mnemonic provides you. You're yeah. dealing with a situation that could potentially get complicated, where prescribing yeah. could escalate, but yeah. by using something like the OPQRST framework and going through the framework, picking out the relevant parts of the framework that are relevant to this scenario, we can prescribe ethically, safely, and also deal with the patient's needs. And I think it's a really nice and clean way of prescribing and also dealing with our patients. Sure. So if I could challenge you with a second case, this one's a bit more difficult. We have a patient who is on, say, high-dose opioid medication, and by that I define that as an OMED or oral morphine equivalent dose of greater than 100 milligrams per day. 
And by being on this dose, we're concerned about um, their risk of overdose. They have chronic back pain, which has been there for over 10 years, let's say secondary to a motor vehicle accident. Um, and they're concerned about worsening pain and they're asking for increasing pain medication to manage their worsening back pain. How yeah. would you manage a situation such as this? So again, this is a very uh, common issue for general practice. So I think, you know, if we're going back to the OPQRST principles, again, unless you're going to diagnose substance use disorder, P is, is not, not on the agenda. We're talking about someone with an OMAD of more than 100. So you would think of naloxone. So opioid uh, antagonist therapy, i.e. naloxone, is a really important intervention. So this patient needs to be educated and his carers need to be educated on the risks of accidental hypnosedative overdose and the role of naloxone in preventing such a, a disaster because he is at a high risk. Remember, people who are on OMEDs of more than 100 are at high risk of uh, hypnosedation, respiratory depression, overdose and death. So we've done O, we've, we, we're P, we've discounted Q. I think because of the risks involved with this patient, I, unless there was absolutely no aberrancy, I, I would be very tempted to start reducing the quantities dispensed, which would allow me to review the patient more regularly. R, uh, refer, I think if I had any difficulties with this patient, and you know, this patient's saying he's in more pain, I'd think of definitely referring this patient to a specialist. Um, rotate, now, rotate and, rotate and tapering, you know, I think these are quite important issues in this case. This patient's on a, on a high dose of opioids, which we know puts him at high risk of uh, accidental overdose. And we also know that high-dose opioids in the context of chronic non-cancer pain actually can make pain worse. And we know that the management of this situation, i.e. the risk of opioid-induced hyperalgesia, we know that the management of this situation involves reducing the dose of opioids. So paradoxically, when you get to high doses of opioids, the treatment of worsening pain is actually reduced the opioids for two reasons. One, it reduces the risk of death, and two, it actually makes people feel better, and three, it can actually improve pain because it alleviates opioid-induced hyperalgesia. So I think Rotation and tapering are important elements in this. Rotation to another opioid allows us to rapidly reduce the OMED, and tapering allows us to gradually reduce the OMED. And I think it's a useful combination to think of those two interventions together. And if we, we basically would need to gradually taper him down to at least less than 100 of OMED to bring him to a position of safety. So we've done Q, we've done R, S, stage supply. Again, if there was absolutely no concern about aberrancy, you, you might not want to do stage supply. But, you know, in my experience, I usually find that patients on high doses, you know, that you do like to have some form of handle on their stage supply. But in this case, if I could summarize, I think in a situation where there is concern about high doses of OMEDs, I think the most important interventions are opioid antagonist therapy, i.e. naloxone, and consideration of reducing the OMED and achieving that either by rotating to a different opioid or tapering the opioid dose down. Excellent. And again, this is yet another kind of elegant solution to a potentially damaging situation. I think in general practice, we all have the legacy patient or the inherited mm -hmm. patient who comes and sees us. Sometimes we yeah. haven't initiated the opioid medication, but we have to manage the patient and the ongoing yeah. complications. 
And sometimes there's the danger of letting the prescribing get away from us. And we sometimes write scripts we're not comfortable with or we feel that we're, our hands are being pushed. But by using this framework, you've really uh, shown how, how there's some built-in safeguards in there that really stop us from doing further damage or escalating the prescribing. Yeah. Excellent. So I think we've had two interesting cases. If I could push my luck and try a third case. And this is, this is probably a more controversial case. So let's say we have a patient who has chronic pain. They're on high dose capanol, so morphine, let's say over 100 milligrams per day. Um, and you find out that they're actually using all their medications that are dispensed within a few days. They're crushing up and injecting the medication and they're trying to source medication through other means, whether it be family or non-prescribed sources of medication. How would you manage a patient such as this using the framework? So again, it goes back to diagnosis and tailoring the diagnosis to the interventions. And I think, I think there's good evidence in this scenario of, of uh, prescription opioid use disorder. So we've got someone who's, who's needing to use high doses, who's diverting, who's injecting. Uh, so presumably there's constant craving, there's inability to cut down, there's escalating amounts, there's tolerance, you know, all of these factors that are going through to uh, opioid use disorder. But we also need to be aware of, you know, the fact that because it's prescription opioid use disorder, we can't use tolerance and withdrawal. So, you know, we'd have to think about uh, persistent use despite ill health, persistent use despite hazards and, you know, the loss of the inability to meet obligations and the inability to, or rather the loss of, of personal relationships. So we would need to explore a little bit but basically, I think, you know, on the face of it, there's, there's good prima facie evidence for the diagnosis of prescription opioid use disorder to be made. And therefore, having made the diagnosis, there, there is really only one type of opioid therapy that we can give this patient, and that is opioid replacement therapy with either methadone or buprenorphine. However, Concomitant with the use of methadone and buprenorphine, we also need to be mindful of the risks of hypnosedation and overdose. So we do need to think about opioid antagonist therapy, i.e. Uh, naloxone. So we've really highlighted the importance in, in when we diagnose use disorder, we need to have the O for naloxone, the P for pharmacotherapy. Quantities, well, that's not really an issue because we're not dispensing the previous opioid. Are refer so yes, I think it would be a good idea if there was any any concerns about this case, you would need to refer to either well, you'd need to refer to an addiction medicine specialist. Rotate rotate would have no role to play in this situation because we're moving over from uh, you know the previously prescribed opioids onto pharmacotherapy. So actually, by definition, it is a rotation, but it, you're not trying to rapidly reduce the OMED when you're doing a a, a, a rotation to pharmacotherapy. Uh, S, stage supply. No, as I said earlier, stage supply forms an integral part of pharmacotherapy. So yes, you know, for the first three months of methadone therapy, you're looking at daily pickup. In the first two weeks of buprenorphine therapy, you're looking at daily pickup. And T for taper. You're not looking to taper the, the dose of the previous opioids. So this is a great example of how the diagnosis uh, 
draws out the salient issues and the salient interventions within the OPQRST mnemonic, but then excludes others. So we're not tapering, we're not doing opioid rotations, but we are giving pharmacotherapy, we are doing stage supply, and we are doing opioid antagonist therapy, i.e. naloxone. Excellent. So I think thus far we've provided through three different cases some pretty good evidence of how the OPQRST mnemonic works and how it's actually helped simplify the decision making when dealing with cases that can be potentially quite complicated and that could lead to dire consequences for both patient and prescriber. Do you have anything else to add about the OPQRST framework, Fergal? Yeah, I, I, th I think that it needs to be tailored to individual patients and it, it's, not, it's not a rule, these are guidelines. And I think they're just, the, the mnemonic is designed to highlight guidelines and highlight practices that already, create, that, that already have an evidence base uh, attached to it. And at the end of the day, I would urge anyone who has difficulties coming to terms with this mnemonic, or in fact, anyone who's got difficulties deal, or considering the potential interventions that this mnemonic alludes to, that they should actually seek advice from, from their, their more experienced colleagues or from addiction medicine specialists. It's not easy to, to engage in opioid stewardship. It's not. It's, it's actually one of the most challenging parts of, of practice. And there's no shame in asking for help. There are no lone rangers in opioid stewardship. And I think that's a really great place to, to end this episode. I think that's a theme we've harkened back through from both alcohol use disorder to opioid use disorder. And if nothing else, with regards to addiction medicine, there are no lone ranges. And it's yeah. also good to know different frameworks and tools that we can use to manage our patients in a safe manner as well. And the OPQRST framework is yet another tool in our armamentarium something that we can use, we can pick through the pieces of the OPQRST framework. Not everything will be relevant to each and every patient we meet, but just going through that systematic checklist really does break down errors, decrease the chances of us making mistakes and decrease the chances of us prescribing inappropriately. So thank you once again, Fergal, and to our listeners and viewers, bye for now. Thank you.